0: And uh, we're glad all of you are here today to worship with us and and uh, enjoy our time together. Uh, I thought about the uh, uh, the Sunday school teacher after teaching two weeks on the life of Solomon. And she came to her class on that third week and says, Does anybody remember anything at all about Solomon? One little boy, he jumped to his feet and said, Yes, yes, I do. She said, what do you remember? He said, I remember that Solomon had 300 wives and 700 porcupines. Be careful that we're real clear when we're talking about what the Scripture says and what it's all about. But you know, sometimes things aren't so clear. Some things are a little more difficult to know the right decision and to know... How to approach it. I want to talk a little bit about that today because uh, I believe that some things in life are just not fact. Some things in life have to be prayed about and thought about and thought through before we react to them. So I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about the, what I call the gray areas of life. And I want to use a Scripture that comes from Psalms 119. It's where David said in the Psalms 119, verse number 5, 105. 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. That was David. The light unto my path. A light unto my feet and a light unto my path. And I thought about that. You know, the light. Do you realize that this book is a light unto your path and unto your feet? If you allow it to be, it, it will give you direction in anything that you want to do in life. It's all there. And that's why it's important that we know what it's all about. I want to ask the question, what do you do when you're not really sure of the course of action that you may take in the choices in life? What does the Bible say about it? You ever thought about it? When it comes to a choice, have you ever stopped for a moment and said, well, what does the Bible say about this? It reminds me of a story that I read about a man that was taken to the emergency room of the hospital. And the doctor began to look at him and he, he saw this fellow, his face is bleeding and it's all blistered and bleeding and he's a mess. And the doctor said, what in the world has happened to you? And the fellow said, well, you know, I'm a Christian and, and there was a fellow out here that had some remark. He smacked me in the face. And as a Christian, I turned the other cheek. And he said, he smacked me there too. He said, yeah, but, but what about your hands are all bleeding? He said, well, you know, He said, I just beat the tar out of him. He said, I thought you said you was a Christian. And the fellow said, yes, but the Lord didn't tell me what to do after turning the cheek the second time. You see, there's gray areas of life. Now, I want to remind you, young people, that is not biblical. If you read the Bible and watch the light, you'll know that you've never right. No matter how many times they smack one cheek or the other, it's never right to beat somebody else up. And so I want you to know that this morning. But do you know, the man technically was right. When you think about it, the Bible technically is right. After telling us to turn the other cheek, that portion of Scripture is silent on the next step if you stop there. But you see, the balance of the Holy Scripture would have told him as a Christian that it's never right to beat another guy up. You see, so that becomes a gray area. All of us at some time in our, are in a position of not knowing what to do. Living in the gray areas of morality. There are some issues in life that are plainly wrong. We know that from the Scripture. We know that adultery is wrong. We know that that killing is wrong. We know that stealing is wrong. We know coveting and drunkenness and addiction. No level-headed person would even debate that. But there are other issues that are not so clear. they are gray areas. The decisions are left up to you. The moral challenges that come to us. Choices that require you to think. Choices that causes you to think. And when you turn to the Bible for help, you find no chapter and verse to specifically cover the thing that you're dealing with. You you just can't find it. It's just not there. And so you begin to wonder, what should I do next? For example, let me give you a couple of examples this morning so I don't confuse you completely. Say you are a nurse in a hospital. And in that hospital they decided that they would begin to do abortions on demand. Now you are a nurse there. Is it right for you to remain an employee in such a place even though you're not involved with the actual abortion? It becomes a gray area. Or you may be a mechanic and maybe as a mechanic in a large dealership that, that sells more cars than anybody else in the part of the country you live. But the mechanics have been given by the owner, every used car that comes in, turn that odometer back so all those miles that Brother Swarker put on them is not shown. You see, you didn't, you're didn't, you not the mechanic and, and you didn't turn the odometers back but you work for the same dealership. Do you feel it's right to continue your employment there? Do you feel it's, that you it's your obligation to tell the law? Or do you just be quiet about it? It's a gray area. It's something you have to think through. You're a high school student, and you're walking down the hall, and you know that within two weeks you're going to have the final exam. And here comes one of your friends along and somehow he got a hold of that final exam. And he's wanting to give it to you so that you can get all the answers. But you're a Christian. And you know that it's wrong. And so you say, no, I'm not going to take that test. I'm not taking that material. But you know that he's giving it to all the other students, all the other kids. And you know that your teacher's going to grade that on the grade on 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 a scale... And you know that all these other students have got the test. And you don't. Do you tell the teacher? Do you say what's going on? Or do you just keep quiet and mind your own business after all you're a Christian? It's a gray area. I thought about those things. You know, there's one more that I thought about. You're a clerk. You've got this first time job. And you're working in a, fast, in a little market on the corner and this market decides that they're going to begin to sell alcohol, and they're going to begin to sell pornographic magazines, and you're the clerk, and when they bring it and set it down on the counter, do you ring it up? As a Christian, it's a gray area. You see, these are the things that specifically in the Bible doesn't have verse and chapter to tell you the answers. It's up to you, my friend, in your spiritual life to pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to give you the right direction in order to make those decisions in the right manner that they ought to be made. It's not easy. The fact of the matter is that many moral choices in life are not clearly divine. They're not defined by the Scriptures. Somewhere along the line, you're going to have to think and you're going to have to pray and you're going to have to think things through and you desperately want to do the right thing, you just don't know what the right thing is. Because the Bible doesn't spell it out. It doesn't speak to that particular problem and you're really confused about it all. To do or to not to do. That's the problem. You're looking for guidance. Now, let me give you a little, let me let me lift you in on something. Although the Bible may not be specific on things, it does give us principles and guidelines. It gives us principles and guidelines and which to make a proper decision. And that's where my text comes in this morning because David said, as he looked at the Lord, and he said, It says, Your word, Lord, is a lamp unto my feet, it's a light unto my path. I begin to try to think of an illustration that I could use on that. And I begin to think about in my backyard, a lot of places where I've lived, I've always built a shanty, a shed. Because you see, I like to do little carpenter work and I like to do gardening. I, I, I mean, I'm not a pro at that, but I kind of like doing it. And so I have nowhere to put this stuff. My wife's a lot, a lot of this stuff in our house. And even in my garage. I went home yesterday from a funeral. I see all kinds of stuff in my garage that never was there before. She said, how'd this get carried in the house? You see, in my shed, in the back, I have all the tools. I have everything there for the the little hobbies that I have. But you see, I, I don't think it's necessary because I never really do anything in that shed. I just store things in it. So I see no reason to put electricity in there, to put lights in there, because I'm not going to work in there. I'm going to just store the stuff in there. But it comes an evening. It's dark outside. And I decide that I need something that I put in that shed. It always happens, especially when I can't keep it at the house. And so what I do, I take the flashlight, a strong flashlight, and it makes my path out to the shed. As I follow that light, and I hold it there while I take the key and I lock the door and I lift the door. Now that light led me to the shed. That light kept me from tripping in the yard. And when I got to the shed, the tool that I needed, the light showed me what the tool were, what it was, and where it was. But the light never chose the tool for the job. You see, the light didn't have the power to choose the tool. I had to think of what I was doing and choose for myself the tool that I was going to use to make that job performed. Now, I say all that to say that that is very scriptural. That's exactly what I'm talking about this morning. That's exactly as God's Word, the Bible, does for me in the realm of moral choices what that flashlight does for me when I go to the shed. You see, we have to make decisions. The shed in the darkness, my friend, it gives me light to decide what I'm going to do. The Bible tells me about God. This Bible tells me about Morality. This Bible tells me about the choices that I need to make. It tells me about God's value system. It tells me about its values in eternity. And so I'm able to make sound judgments when I look into the Word that will honor God, that will enhance my life and make it better, and knowing that God thinks about basic issues. So even those Gray areas, my friend, can become lightened if we trust and believe in the Word of God. The Bible gives us the obvious. It's obvious that we know that we read in the Scripture. I mean, how many times have you read about thou that shall not commit adultery? We know adultery is wrong. I mean, we don't have to. We don't have to think about it. We don't have to pay a lot of time, spend a lot of time in prayer. We know that the Bible says adultery is wrong. There are some things in there. The Bible also talks about cursing. Cursing is wrong. Take Never take the Lord's name in vain. You see, cursing is wrong. We know that. Drunkenness is wrong. The Bible teaches against drinking. It teaches against getting drunk. And so it's easy. We don't have to think a lot and pray a lot about that. It also states about our actions. Did you know that? You just can't... Ask. Somebody say, well, that's just the way I am. That's just my personality. That's the way I do things. Mom, tell you something. I believe that if when you become a Christian, a born-again Christian, and seeking all that God wants, God is going to say, you become the light of the world. So watch what you say. Watch how you say it. Watch where you go. Watch how you walk. Watch where you appear. Actions is important. And we should take it, my friend. And you know, it talks about our actions. It also talks about how that we are to treat our neighbors. The Bible teaches us that, that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, I know some of you probably don't like, you, you don't like some of the things about yourself, but you still love yourself. I mean, you can debate that all day, but I'm going to tell you something. You, you, if you don't believe that, you think, well, I deserve to eat. I deserve this. I deserve better than this. You know why? Because you love yourself. And you ought to love yourself. After all, I, I, whether you like me or not, God loves me and He made me as I am. And so the Bible says if we, we are to treat our neighbors and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We know that. We don't have to think about that proper care and attention of our spouses or our family members, our concern for the church. The Bible says that we ought to love the church as we love our wives, as we love our husbands. And sometimes maybe that's why I get churches get in trouble. <laughs> but you know, we really ought to. The Bible says that we ought to love them as we love our spouses. And so still there are other areas of instructions that a Christian values that should be installed in the human heart. But they're not always considered. You know something? Just because you became a Christian, just because you committed your life to Jesus Christ and He forgave you when you confessed your sins, does not mean that you are are all wound up in a package and you're finished. There is a portion of your life that you have to work through and pray through and constantly read the Word for new instruction of how God wants me to be in life. And when we begin to do that, I want to tell you something, there are areas of instruction for a Christian's value system that should be installed in every human heart. You see, I thought about this. My my grandson, he's graduated and and uh, he got himself a good job and he got himself a nice new new car and... So this Christmas, uh, my daughter and and my wife and we all got together and talked about what would be a good thing he'd like to have. And we didn't ask him. We just said, you know what? He's got this new car that sits outside. He has an apartment, so he his car sits outside in the winter. He's in Toledo, Ohio. It's cold up there. Of course, it's cold down here too. But we decided to get this self-starting thing. You know, where you, he can start it while he's taking a shower in the morning, and he get out and get in a warm car. Now, it took him about three weeks to make up his mind whether he wanted it or not to get it installed, so I'm not so sure he was as excited as we were. We just thought it would be nice for him. You know, he's one of these kids that when he was when he was just a little boy and he started the kindergarten, his mom every morning would get up and put his pants and his shirt and his coat in the dryer. Not because they were wet, but because she wanted him to go out in the cold with warm clothes. And so she's still at that thought now, 25 years old, she don't want him to get cold, so let's get him something that can start his car in the winter and keep it warm and, and, and keep it cool in the summer when it's setting out in the hot sun. But you see, no matter how much she wanted that, there had to be somebody that got that part and then had it installed in order for it to work. Now I'm going to tell you something, church. If you want your character to work, you've got to do some installation. You're going to have to take the Word of God and ask God to place this within my heart, within my life, through the Holy Spirit that makes me act like a Christian, that makes me walk like a Christian, that makes me want to talk like a Christian. Because those things don't come automatic. Because you were born like I was, and with carnal nature. And the first carnal, you don't believe that, you don't believe that the sweetest little things in the world, I've dedicated hundreds of them. But those little old sweet little packages, you know, that's sitting there and everybody's gooing and gooing about, you let it get dissatisfied, and brother, it'll show you that demic nature within it. It'll begin to cry, it'll begin to kick, it'll begin to, to do anything it can, and if nothing else, it'll throw up on you. You've got to train that child. Physically, spiritually, we need to be trained. And I'm going to tell you, I believe with all my heart, there are instructions for us that this is an area in the life as it's not always considered, and it is so valuable. We come to the forks in the road of morality, even as a Christian. Your conscience needs to be developed. All of us have a conscience that needs to be developed. The Holy Spirit does not, does the necessary work in the heart of any sincere Christian who is willing to be taught, who is willing to read the Word, who is willing to be informed with highly developed conscience. I believe the conscience needs to be developed and I believe that it needs to be developed by the Holy Spirit. When we read the Word, Paul warned about a conscience that is seared and calloused. You know what he was talking about? He was talking about one that don't care about nothing except themselves. We consider, my friend, today the conscience is never developed in many times for people that claim to be Christians Because they're not willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work. They've never really came before the Lord and said, Lord, I can't do this in my own. I need your power. I need something that will guide me. And so, you see, the way that happens is, is the only way you can develop your conscience is to know the word and let the light show you what it is. So the failure that many people have today is the fact that they do not read the word. They don't believe the Word. They don't trust it. And so when things happen in their life, they say, well, I didn't know that. God knows I didn't know that. God also knows that He gave you the Word that you need to be into and you need to learn about it. You need to listen to what the Word of God says. There's a second thing that I think that develops a conscience, And that is, my friend, the time not only spent in the Word, but the time spent in church. Now, the church has an influence. The preaching of the Word has an influence on your life. There will be things that a preacher will say that you never heard of or you never thought of until he told you about it. And when you're told about it, once you hear it, then you need to go home and try to think it through and pray it through and try to get it involved in your life so that when these things occur in your life that you have questions about, those gray areas, you can remember what the preacher says. And you can follow through with it. There's a third thing. The reason why it's not developed, because a lot of people don't pray about anything. You know what? We've made it so easy. You know what we do? When something happens, the first thing we do, we dial the church and we say, Lynn, you put this on the prayer chain. What about you praying? What about your prayer life? What about when you face a difficulty or a decision or something's occurring in your life between you and a spouse or you and a neighbor or you and your children or you or somebody at work or even you and somebody in the church? How much time do you spend praying, God, help me to know, help me to know in my own life that this is the right choice, that this is the right decision? You see, the reason why our conscience don't do that is because we don't spend enough time with the Lord. The christ on inconscience conscience is strong light for you in facing the decisions and giving you the answers that are biblical. But your conscience can become blurred. You, you know what? You what know, is blurred? I, I mean, there are times, you know, when I take off my glasses, my eyes get tired and, and things are blurry to me. I, I'm not quite reading this right. And I pick it up a second time and I, I read it again. Or sometimes we can change the channel if I'm watching TV and it gets a little blurred. It has nothing to do with the TV. It has to do with me. And there's sometimes that your conscience gets blurred. And you know when it gets blurred a little bit, it's because of the softening process that Paul talked about when he said... About conformity. You see, in the book of Romans, Romans 12 and 2, the conformity to this world system, you know, you know what it is, everybody's doing it. That's conformity. When people say, well, well, how can that preacher think he's right? How can that Christian leader think that they're right? When everybody else is doing it, that's a poor way, my friend, of understanding the scripture. You see, you need to realize that your conscience can become blurred. Things can become conformed to this world. But the Bible says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. Now notice what he says here. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the will of God's will and that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Nobody wants to hear those words anymore. Nothing in our age is perfect anymore. I mean, uh, you know, we have more outlet stores than I've ever seen in my life. And most of the time, they'll say an outlet store means that there's a good product in there, but it's not perfect. Well, let me tell you something. we got too many outlet churches today. we got too many outlet Christians today that are not trying to live the perfect life. God wants us to be people of perfection. And let me just say this. Feelings is the terrible indicator for your conscience. Feelings is the worst indicator. I know a couple, through the years, I've known a couple pilots. And you know something they told me one time when I looked at that instrument panel? I mean, there's so many instruments, I couldn't tell you. I mean, I don't know how anybody would understand all that. But they said, listen, if you don't, you fly, not by what you see, you fly by these instruments. If you don't follow the instruments, you can be up there flying in the sky. and You can be upside down, don't even know it. Well, you know what? The same thing is true with us. is our lives. We've got to fly by the instrument panel. We've got to fly by the Word of God. We've got to know what God's saying. You see, Paul reminded the Christians in Titus, he said, they were peculiar people. And I thought about that. We're, you know we're, we're peculiar people. Some of you're more peculiar than others. <laughs> but we're peculiar people. Now what does by the way we look? No, I don't think that, not necessarily. We're peculiar by the way we respond to life. People don't understand that, that you see, the world says, when somebody does something that's wrong, you say. Don't ever trust them again. I'll never talk to them again. I'll never buy anything from them again. I'll never believe anything they have again. But Christians are different. They're peculiar. Because they give that person a chance. They realize that person's living in the world and doesn't know what we know. And so you see, we live differently. We judge differently. That's what the peculiarness is about when somebody says you did something and and, and and something wrong, and somebody come by and says, "Well, you know what? We're we're peculiar." I, let me give you an illustration of that. Now, quick. my my little girl, not little anymore, She's going to be fifty years old in a year or so, but she 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 was a little girl. We were we were building a church, and and we were working on pouring concrete, and and and, and Carrie was hit. She was just about six years, five or six years old. And, and so we quit what we were doing, run over there, run down to the hospital, stood there with her as the doctor began to try to set that leg. Because she was hit with a car. And the funniest thing was, we weren't in a hospital no time till here come some folks, good natured folks, good people, who said, well, I'd sue that lady. Well, we were concerned more about the lady having a heart attack over hitting a six-year-old girl than we were about suing her for a leg that was broke. You see, we become peculiar. Because people say, well, that's not nature. Why would you not do that? I mean, it it cost your daughter time. And, and she was in a body cast for months and she rode around in a wagon because she couldn't even get in a chair. She had this straight cast on. And, and you don't, no, no, my friend. When you become Christian, you are peculiar. You do things differently. You, you try to win that lady through that. You pray for that lady. Now that's just only one illustration. That's, I'm sure that all of you have those. But you see, the Bible says we become peculiar. We don't react in the same way the world does. Why? Because we are not conformed to the world's values. We're not conformed to the world. Instead, we are transformed by the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Now, don't fall into that. Everybody's doing it. In fact, the majority of the time, they are very, very, very wrong. What we see in our world today that people are doing is wrong. And we need to stand up for what's wrong. You see that Jesus even told about it. He talked about a broad way that was heavily traveled. Many, he said, many are led to destruction. And so you cannot make moral choices based on everyone else's doing it. That that won't buy it with God. Many so called Christians are just drifting along today. They go down the path of least resistance. Don't create problems, don't say anything, don't do anything, don't stand for anything. But I'm going to tell you something, when you do that, it becomes fatal. Because the world is looking for somebody that's got a standard. They're looking for somebody that will tell them why they're feeling the way they are. I hear people say all the time, well, you know what? You go back in our, our, our generation, go back and look, you know. I mean, after all, there were so many alcoholics and so many drug addicts in our family. And, you know, it's just that it's, just, it's not their fault. They just got it. Let me tell you something. Then you don't believe the Bible. Because the Bible says our old life passes away and all things become new. Through the power of Christ, He can take, and I've seen it happen, He can take the worst hell-bound alcoholic and transform them into the greatest spirit-filled person on the face of the earth. Because that's the God that we serve. You see, we need to realize that there are some gray areas. We need to fill our hearts and our minds with the Word of God. We need to learn the principles of God. We need to ask the Lord for wisdom, develop our conscience to, to be as... You know what, if we would spend as much time in, in influencing our conscience as we do trying to fix our bodies. It's amazing to me, in our little town, how many bodybuilding shops there are. And I thought, boy, if we could just get people as in food about building their character for God as we are to building these physical bodies, what a difference the world would be. But you see, we're more interested in the flesh. Much of the world's population just floats along on the tide. Whatever everyone else is doing, they do it. Much of what the world is doing, my friend, is morally wrong. And sometimes it's pretty clear that it's wrong. And other times it's a fine shade of gray. But God isn't confused, not for a moment. God knows and understands every direction clear. That's why He said, Seek Me and you will find Me. Seek Me. And so I believe today that we need to be seeking the Lord and to know the truth about our situation because the Bible says the truth will set us free. And so I say this morning, I wonder, what are the gray areas in your life? What are the things that you you stop for a moment and think, it, it, what will this do for me spiritually? What will this do for me as a witness? What will this do for me if I pursue it? Those, those things, my friend, we need to take time to think. And we need time for pray. And when you think and when you pray, the Holy Spirit will give you the right answers and the right direction. I believe that with all my heart. That's why I believe there's many, many things that we do in life that we do. The things that we have done without praying about it, many times has become back to bite us. But the things that we prayed through on were so exciting, so thrilling. Today, I believe that we as a people of God, it's easy to get mixed up in today's society, but I don't believe that God's children need to get caught up with the society of the world. I believe today that God wants to give every one of us. He don't want us to be trapped in a situation where we don't know the right answer. I believe today that God wants to make it clear in our hearts, our minds, and our conscience on how to live for Him. When we do that, great things can happen in our lives. Great things. If you're caught in that great area today, I'm going to ask that God speak to your heart, help you to find the right answer in the right direction to move. And I believe He'll do it today. Let's stand together. Father, this morning we thank You that Lord, You are a God that understands all of our needs and all of our lives. You said, Lord, You know our getting up and our laying down. You under, you said You know every place we walk, everywhere we go. Lord, You said You understand where we are. And so, God, we pray today that You would give us the light of Your Word. Help us, Lord, to be able to follow through Your Word and, Lord, know the right decisions at the right time and to do the right thing. Father, if there's one here today that's confused and, not sure of the exact direction or not sure of how they ought to react. Let this be the day, Lord, that they ask You to give them the right direction. We pray that the Holy Spirit would move in on their hearts and their lives today. That they would go out of this place saying, I know with God's help, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Bless their hearts and their lives today and we'll give You the thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, your comments were saying if you have a need.